Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab Podcast. Good to have you here with us today. Today, we've got a, a great guest for you. Before we get there, let me remind you that the new book, The Successful Speaker, Five Steps to Booking Gigs, Getting Paid, and Building Your Platform is coming soon. If you have not pre-ordered the book, you definitely want to do that. We have uh, heavily incentivized you to do so with lots of different bonuses you can check out by going over to the Speaker Lab dot com slash book. Again, that is the speakerlab.com slash book. There you can get all the details on that and uh, make sure that you pre-order. In fact, if you pre-order either the hardcover or the, the Kindle version, we will give you the audiobook for free. Isn't that awesome? We'll give you the audiobook for free. So uh, we definitely want to, uh, I'm telling you, this is the kind of stuff we're hooking you up with. So again, you can find out all the details about that by going over to thespeakerlab.com slash book, thespeakerlab.com slash book. If you want to know all things about finding and booking gigs, then that's the place for you, thespeakerlab.com slash book to get the successful speaker. All right. So today we are talking with my buddy, Joe Sanok, and uh, I butcher his name. I always forget how to, to pronounce it there. But uh, Joe is a, a great guy and a, uh, we've had him on the show back on episode 131. Joe is a, a speaker and entrepreneur and he basically teaches people in the counseling therapy industry about how to build and grow their business and their practice. And so we talk about what it is to, to speak in kind of a, a micro niche and how that's been helpful for him. We also talk about live events. He's hosted a, a couple of live events that have been very successful. We also talk about podcasting and how he's used podcasting to build and grow his audience. So a couple different topics that we cover and talk about that would be beneficial to you. So we've got a lot to get into. So uh, let's jump into this conversation with Joe. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, joined by my buddy Joe Sanak. Sanak? Sanak. Sanak. It's all good. I was, I was, I always butcher it. So Joe's hanging out with us. He was actually with us back on episode 131. Joe's the founder of Practice of the Practice, which is a, a speaking and consulting business that helps counselors in uh, private practice. And so, first of all, that's, that's a little snapshot sentence there, but what's the overview of what it is that you do and how speaking fits into your business? Yeah, I help primarily counselors, coaches, therapists to start, grow, and scale private practices. But more and more, we're helping people grow through speaking on podcasts and public speaking and hosting their own events. And so the goal for a counselor who's hosting a podcast or who's coming to your event is I'm a, a marriage counselor, I'm a family therapist, I'm an addiction counselor, or whatever it may be. And I'm just trying to figure out how to get more clients and build my business. Is that ultimately a lot of what they're coming to you for? Yeah, I think it, it shifts even more than that, where they realize that they're answering the same questions over and over in their counseling sessions. And then they realize, wow, th these skills are transferable well beyond just this one couple or this one person in my session. So what would it look like if I really addressed trauma head on, or I really addressed you know, women's issues? And could I launch a membership community? Could I launch some coaching? Could I launch my own retreats to go well beyond just what I could do clinically? 
Got it. Interesting. All right. So I know like in these one-on-one conversations that I'm having in actual behind the door sessions with clients that I'm helping them, but I know that there's thousands of other people that are dealing with the same type of things. So learning about the different platforms and mediums that I can use to expand it beyond just that one-on-one setting. Yeah, absolutely. So we have one client, she has, it's empowered and unapologetic.com is her website. And so Veronica, she helps women who have kind of lost their identity in being a mom, being a wife, and they've just, that's all they do. And they're they're like, I need to take back my life. And so she wants to empower them, but then also just be unapologetic. And so in her launching her podcast, she's covering these issues. She's starting by kind of using the framework that we recommend of doing five solo shows, just kind of talking about what does that mean? What's her modality? then interviewing five to seven experts that really kind of positions her as an expert, and then doing five to seven interviews um, all around interviewing her ideal client. And so then through that, um, it's a lot easier to get people into an email course where they can go from that pain to transforming into kind of that new version of themselves. And so we walk them through how do you build out this nine-part email course? How do you build out the exact podcast structure that we see work? And then how do you then ask those first people that jump into your email course, what is it that you want to buy? And so we have a structure that we teach them with that too. So that really their first membership community, their first retreat, whatever their first product is, they know the pain in the people so well before they launch the product that it sells out right from the first time. Interesting. Okay. And so I want to dig into some of that before we get there. I'm curious for you personally in your business. So it sounds like, are you doing much counseling yourself? Yeah. So I actually sold my practice about six months ago. So I had had it for about 14 years, um, grew it to 11 clinicians. It was a private pay practice. I kind of noticed that when a a client would come in, I didn't have the same excitement as when I was doing a podcast interview or working on something. And that's not fair to the clients. And so I talked to one of my clinicians and she was kind of at a spot where she was looking at wanting to grow in a different way. And we went through the process of the value of the company and then selling it. So I'm totally location independent now. We're we're thinking about getting an RV and traveling through national parks and podcasting across the, the globe. That's awesome, man. Good for you. That's cool. So are you doing, uh, like how much speaking are you doing today and how does speaking kind of fit into your world? Yeah. And so I have two really small kids, you know, they're five and eight, really involved with them. Uh, right now, speaking is more events that I put on or probably two or three times a year. I have very select keynotes that I know are going to really help kind of amplify the business. Most of the speaking I'm doing now is in the form of podcasting, podcast interviews, uh, online type of things. But I'm really selective on which keynotes I'll take. Yeah. And you know, if, if it's the right audience and the right price, then yeah, I'll fly out for it. Everybody's got a number. So, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yep. Okay. So, one of the things I like about your story, and you and I have talked a little bit about this offline, is that you are in kind of a, a micro niche. And so, people oftentimes assume that in order to be a speaker, that you need to spread the net as far and wide as possible. The more things you can speak on, the more potential audiences you can reach, the more potential gigs you can book. The reality is, is, is the opposite is actually the case. The more specific, the more narrow, the more focused you are, the easier it is to find gigs. So, so for you, my assumption is like, okay, I'm, I'm a counselor, I'm a therapist, and then I'm dabbling with some of this other stuff on the side. It starts to take off. I start to have other people who are interested in that, who are asking me questions. I start teaching that. That business kind of evolves uh, and changes over time. But actually the point being that by focusing just on 
counselors and focusing just on therapists and focusing on this very specific niche, this actually become easier for you to become a go-to authority and actually become easier for you to be able to find and book gigs and to build an audience around that. Would, would that be fair? Or can you just kind of talk us through Yeah, 100%. I remember the very first book that I read, my wife and I in 2009, before we had kids, uh, we were moving. We went on this six-week road trip across the United States and I bought a business book. It was the very first business book, Guerrilla Marketing. Mm-hmm. And I remember in there, he was talking about how for the longest time, all tires were basically the same. And then one tire company came out and it was like a millimeter thicker than all the other tires. And they started branding themselves as the longest lasting tire. And it was just because they found something that nobody else was doing. You know, whether you call it blue ocean strategy, you know, category design, they found something that no one else was doing. And sometimes that feels overwhelming. Like I got to find this one thing nobody's doing. You may not have to go to that extreme, but I just started with where was there hardly any competition. And so when I looked at podcasts, the only podcast that was out there in 2012 around counseling kind of practitioners was the American Counseling Association. And they had been dormant for six months at the time. So from day one, I started saying I'm the number one podcast for counselors because I was the only counseling podcast. So then I can be the longest lasting, even if I get outranked by people. (laughs) Uh, So I've been around the longest as long as I keep doing it. Uh, And so I think finding that specialty is really important for a few reasons. The first is, especially if you're podcasting or speaking, your audience is 100% the target audience of someone else. So for example, for me to go to Therapy Notes, who's one of our sponsors, or Brighter Vision Website Solutions, who makes websites just for therapists, I can say to them, 100% of my folks are your target audience. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if, if you, you know, say, well, I, I have speakers, you're going to have a lot of different kinds of speakers. You right. know, a small percentage is going to be therapists. Whereas right. I can say, you know, 100%. So I can charge way more for my numbers than the typical podcast. So that's important. Second, when it comes to selling any sort of product, it's a lot easier because I'm just focusing on counselors that are in private practice, coaches coaches that are in private practice, massage therapists that are in private practice, folks that are building a practice that isn't based on kind of big insurance. It's not based on a hospital design. It's people that care more about what their practice looks like, having it mirror their values. So then I have people that are more passionate about what I'm doing because I can dig into issues that other people just don't even talk about. And so I can spend three episodes diving into the decorations for your office. And that's not weird because it's all people that have offices. Whereas if you did that, you know, someone else might say like, that's kind of random. Now that does limit me because there's only a certain number of people. So I have to find ways that make sense for my audience to level up. So like podcast launch school is something that now applies to people outside of that, but I'm still taking my own audience along with me and listening to them as to what they're saying they want to do next. Interesting. So I want to touch on something you, you mentioned at the beginning there that by focusing on a specific niche that you become kind of that category expert, the, the challenge those that you mentioned, like, okay, I, was, I decided to go down the route of podcasting because no one else was doing that in my space. The challenge for speakers is that, okay, I, if I say I want to speak on certain XYZ topic and I don't see anyone else doing it, I'm going to be the first. There's situations where that can work and there's situations where it's like, that doesn't work. So you actually- like There's a go, reason there aren't podcasts Exactly, that. yeah, yeah. And so the reason that there, there's nobody's doing a podcast on that is because you know counselors or therapists don't listen to podcasts on that. Now, it's, you know, that's certainly anecdotal, but for a speaker who's going, I want to speak on this topic and I can't find anyone speaking on it, I'm going to be the first. In which case, that may not actually work. You know, The reason that nobody speaks on that is because nobody's booking that. So how do you kind of find that balance of, or even like thinking back to the podcast, like I'm going to be the first versus like, oh, I'm not going to do this because it's, 
clearly someone's tried it and it didn't work. Yeah. I mean, I think starting with what's a topic area that you personally would enjoy exploring. So even the fact that I can reach out to you, you know, several years ago, that was because I had a podcast that I got to talk to you and that I got to be on your show and you on my show. So even just for my own kind of private coaching with Grant Baldwin and getting to be able to, you know, pick your brain, I think there's value in it. So that's where you don't want to pick a specialty that you're doing it just for the money or just for the audience. You definitely want something that you're curious about that you can dive into over time. I think also setting some kind of key performance indicators. Uh, you know, don't say I'm going to do 12 podcast episodes and I expect to make, you know, several grand a month off of that. Give yourself a longer period of time. And we recommend a minimum of 26 episodes um, before you would ever launch a podcast. And then you're going to want to look and see what's working. And so if you have an email course, you know, how quickly do you get to your first hundred people, your first thousand people, what's working with that, what's not working. So being the first adopter can be very helpful, but also looking at industries where there are some other people there kind of proves the model. I think where people get stuck oftentimes is it's almost the other side of it where they feel like everything is so saturated that they don't even want to jump in and they get paralyzed by perfection. They get intimidated. They say, what does my voice matter? But the research really doesn't support that when you look at, say, podcasting stats or when you look at even just our own individual voices. So for my audience, I know that most of them have master's degrees or PhDs. So statistically, about 9% of the U.S. has a master's degree or higher. So in a general room of 100 people, there's going to be about nine people that have a master's degree or higher. And so... Of those nine, how many are a doctor, a dentist, you know, something else? You know, most therapists are probably the smartest mental health person in the average room. Meaning that if you're out there getting interviewed on podcasts, doing your own podcast, statistically, it's going to be very easy for you to stand out just because of your education level. But then we start to add on other things like your own experience or, you know, being a dad versus a mom, having young kids versus, you know, older kids. We all have these experiences that give us a lens that even if you and I each did a conversation about speaking, we're going to have totally different perspectives on it. And so yeah. there's almost, in my opinion, not an industry that I would say there's no market at all for that. I would really struggle to find one that you couldn't figure out a way to monetize. But there are definitely strategies that will tell you before you put too much effort, time and money into it, whether or not it's working. But it also kind of depends on your expectations. You know, so if you said, hey, I want to be, uh, you know, I want to do a podcast for counselors and I want, you know, 100,000 downloads per episode and I'm going to be the, you know, but there's currently nobody else doing it. And, you know, here's, and I'm going to make a full-time living of this, you know, within three months. It's like, eh, right. you know, good luck with that. <laughs> and the same thing with speakers. If you said like, hey, I want to speak full-time 100 times a year, charging $10,000 a pop, speaking to counselors and therapists. I, like, I'd be wondering, are there even that many opportunities that exist? Maybe, but certainly not all 100% of them are going to be hiring you. So versus if you said, I've got a, a full-time practice that I'm doing, and but I'm interested in speaking five times a year or 10 times a year, then yeah, that's probably more realistic of what is possible. So some of it sounds like just some market research and some of it may just be, I'm just, some of it's your expectations and some of it's just kind of testing and seeing what the results provide. Yeah. And even just thinking about the end goal, you know, if someone says, I just want to fill up my coaching practice, yeah. I want to have more people locally come work with me then you want to do a podcast around something local. You don't need to go national because especially if the goal is to get people to in-person come work with you, then do something around Michigan businesses or Michigan lifestyle or, you know, I'm in Michigan. So it would be around that if it's going to be local. If you are looking to go national then or international, then yeah, you can do a more kind of broad brushstroke because, and you can be more specific because there's just more people you're pulling from. 
Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I'm curious on with you is you do some speaking, but speaking is one way that you can help and serve your audience. There's a variety of different ways that you have decided to kind of dig into. So can you kind of talk us through some of the evolution? Okay, I know I want to help therapists and counselors, and there's a lot of ways to go about doing that. So how has that kind of evolved to the point where now you have a variety of different trainings, you do different live events, you do different coaching and programs. So I'm thinking about from a speaker's perspective, who's going, okay, I'm already doing some speaking. I help this specific audience and I want to do more beyond the stage type of offerings. And I'm just not sure where to begin. So one thing, you know, you and I have talked about is as a speaker, you can also do books and do coaching and do counseling and do consulting or do a course or do events or do all these different things. And you, you, you can do all those things, but you can't do all, all at once. So how have you kind of figured out here's the best way for me to help my audience and expand my reach? Yeah, the very first step I would say is creating an email course. And I use the word course instead of list or funnel because you really want to think through it being a transformation that someone goes through. So they come with this pain and they leave with this transformation. So what we walk our clients through is the first three emails, you want to be setting up the problem. So why is society basically set you up to not be successful? And so in my case, graduate school doesn't teach us anything about business. You know, we don't learn how to run a private practice. You're basically set up to fail in private practice because we haven't been taught it. And so one of my consulting clients, she teaches young parents how to help their baby sleep and she's awesome at it. And so what is it in society that makes sleep not a priority? And so we're normalizing the problem, but we're also then saying, you know what, like you don't have to stay there. There's some hope here. The next three emails we look at is having some quick wins. So what's a small step in the right direction that someone can take that this week, if they did it, they would say, wow, you're really smart. This email course is actually helping me change my life before I've ever given you a dollar. And then the next three emails are going to be long-term habit building. So what's a long-term habit that someone can do that's going to, over the next, say, two months or so, really help them be able to move towards that transformation? And the reason that we start with that email course is that it helps people really clarify their message. Because, you know, if you're speaking, if you're on podcast interviews, if you have a place to point people and say, hey, head over to this website if you want to learn this thing and transform in this way, then you own that audience instead of having them be on a social media that Facebook now makes you pay to reach and all these other things. So then after that, I would say the next thing is once you have at least 100 people within that email course, send an email saying, I'd love to chat with you for 15 minutes or so about kind of what this pain has been like for you and what you wish, you know, I would create. I'm exploring some products. I'd love to talk with you. So you want to have 100 because you're going to get probably 10 to 15% of the people that will jump on a free call with you. And you really want to have at least 10 to 15 calls because if you get one or two, you're going to get people that they don't really represent the full sample. You want to have enough that you can notice some trends with your audience because these are your first people that gave their email, that jumped in. And you're going to just ask them three questions. And if you want to, you can even send these to them in that email invite to say, I'm not going to sell you anything. I just want to talk to you about what this has been like. So the first question you're going to ask them when you're on a Zoom call, Skype call, or phone call is, you know, what has it been like to go through this problem? And so, you know, for us, what's it been like to start a counseling practice? Like, you know, and then you're taking notes on it. You're noticing what are words that keep coming up, that language. The second question is, if there was some product, e-course, membership community that would absolutely solve that problem, if you could just create your dream product, what would that be and what would that look like? And then third, how much would you pay for that? And so what you're doing there is you're getting the very words from them as to what is it that they want. 
So we've used this with a number of different products we've launched. We launched a membership community a couple of years ago. And over and over, the things that they wanted in a membership community or that they wanted in that product was way bigger than what I thought they wanted. I was thinking this like $20 a month kind of thing where right. maybe I do like a phone call. But they're like, man, I want a free logo. I want a paperwork packet. I want ongoing e-courses. I want a yeah. small group community. I want an accountability partner. So we went big and we said, yeah, we're going to charge you know, $88 a month for this thing. But if we have 300 people like we have right now, that makes it that we can hire staff to create those things on an ongoing basis. So then we're completely different than all the other courses that are out there in the membership communities. And then you have your first audience members that are saying, I'm wanting to buy this. You can reach out to those first 15 people or so and say, hey, you know, I interviewed 15 of you and we now have a beta test group. I'm going to screw some things up in it, but that's why you're going to get a lower price jumping into this. And you then have your very first people that are going to buy. So they've opted into the email and shown some commitment there. They talked to you on the phone and gave up their time and said what they wished. And then you're going to have your first customers. And every time we've done that, we've sold out each of our items that we were selling. So how do you determine what the medium would be that you would, that you would offer? So like in that case that you were just describing, it sounds like you're putting together, I'm putting together some type of membership, some type of course, something. Yeah. And so I'm trying to figure out what that would be versus that's going to be slightly different than maybe gathering intel that you might use for, uh, I know you've done like some live events or doing some done for you services or doing coaching or consulting in a you know group or one-on-one setting. So do you just kind of go into, hey, what's the problem? And then I'll try to figure out what's the best way to solve this problem through whatever means, or is it more, I'm thinking about doing an event, what's the problem that you have? And I'm going to figure out how to put that into what an event context would be? No, I think that's a really great question because in my opinion, we never want to create a product that compromises our lifestyle. First and foremost, I want to be able to say, you know what? I work three days a week. I love hanging out with my kids. I love having my evenings free. So I'm not going to offer a 24-7 texting service to my consulting clients. And so starting with what are your own boundaries before you ever offer anything. And so maybe you just don't want to do an e-course well, then don't offer an e-course and say, yeah, Yeah. I know that for sure this isn't going to be an e-course. I know it's not going to be a live event. But if you're open to it, then I would just say, here's the things I'm considering. Here's the three or four things I'm considering. You may have an idea. So for Killing It Camp, that's the uh, event that we put on uh, this past fall. Killing It Camp, it was an idea of bringing together therapists that were working on their private practices that was different than a typical event. I mean, we had goat yoga. We had an open bar. All the food and lodging was included in it. It was in the middle of the Rocky Mountains instead of in some stuffy hotel you know, lobby. And so I had this vision for it. And it was a pretty clear vision. I wanted it to be like super different. You know, that people would say, you'd never see this at the American Counseling Association. Which, yeah. When somebody said that to me, I was like, yes, that is exactly what I wanted. <laughs> In that situation, I said, you know, we're thinking about putting on an event. I'd love to jump on some phone calls and to find out the price point of what you'd want for that. And also what kind of things would you want covered? And then the actual topic areas, once the first, say, 50 people bought their tickets, we had some speakers already set up. But then um, from there, we were able to kind of refine it even more based on who had bought the tickets at that point. Gotcha. And so, so the goal from the beginning was to do some type of conference or to do some type of event. And I knew, you know, you know what, what that, who the ideal person is and kind of what the goal is. Like we want to be different than that. That's just what they're used to. We want to be different than that. I guess even taking it back a step further. So how did you even know, or how did you get a sense of like, well, the best help, the problem that my audience has is an event as opposed to doing some other medium or platform? Yeah, I mean, we had done e-courses already. We had done the one-on-one, had mastermind groups. So really doing a large live event was one of the few things we hadn't done at that point. Now, if we were just starting from scratch, I years ago tried to do a big live event 
and tried to sell tickets before I had to put any money down and like two people bought and then I refunded their money. And so having ways that you can test it out before you have to put money down. So for example, for our speakers, because we knew that they're going to be able to ask for people to join their email list, they're going to be able to talk about their e-courses. We charged them for their room and their food. And so it was $500 for them to come, but they didn't have to pay the full fee. So if my speakers and the people that had worked with me that had done consulting and mastermind groups, if they weren't willing to give $500 for just their food and lodging, then that was a pretty good indicator that I can't sell this thing. And so then once all of them paid, then I reached out to our membership community and said, all right, um, you're going to get a discounted price, you know, similar to the speaker fee. I wanted to sell at least 20 of those to our group. And then if nobody bought that, those were our first customers who really should have been the, the hottest leads to buy. Now, if they didn't buy, then I would have pulled the plug on it. And so I got pretty close to it where I was at like 40 people. I'm like, I want to be at like 200 minimum. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to do two more weeks of aggressive pushing, did a bunch of webinars and did a like end date, did a volunteer thing where people had to donate five hours, but they got a discount on it. And then we sold 140 tickets. It was like, okay, this is a real event now. Yeah. Now I can put in a lot more effort into it. So I do think having those times that you say, I'm going to pull the plug on this uh, is really important. And you just say, you know, what? I'm trying big things and I'm sorry, I have to refund your money. I can either refund all your money or if you want to join a mastermind group, we can transfer that money over to a mastermind. So, and that's not any shame on you. It's just your audience wasn't ready. You missed the mark and you, know, you got some information. So I think a lot of people would have their, hold their head in shame, but it's like, just try things. And if it doesn't work, then move on to the next thing. Now, everything you just described there also is why, you know, people are so nervous about hosting their own events is because there are, there's so many variables that go into them. Plus it's very, very difficult to make events profitable, uh, hosting your own events, right? So if you're as a, as a speaker, if you're just going in, I speak, I get a check, I go home. It has no impact on me whether or not the event itself was profitable. I got my check. But um, if you're hosting the event, you're on the other side of the equation. There's a lot that goes into whether or not that event can be profitable and whether or not you can make, you know, you can make it work. I know for you, you've been able to, to make it work and you've had some, some very, very profitable events. How have you been able to make that work? And for someone who's interested in maybe hosting my own event someday, what would you say to them to be able to, to come out the other end in the black and not in the red? Yeah, I think being able to have very clear products that don't take a lot of your time. So for example, we offered a discount to people to join our membership community, but they had to pay for a year's worth of it all at once. They got a yeah. discount and some bonuses, making it easy for people to sign up. Also, being able to have a high-end product. So our Done For You podcasting is around $20,000 and people then get 26 episodes and they get transcriptions and all this you know, sound editing. Uh, and so by signing one person up for that, that's 20K that yeah. just came in. And so being able to make sure that pretty much at every level you're making money. And so you know, even with the YMCA of the Rockies, the YMCA of the Rockies, they have a great deal for these hotel style rooms, food is included. It was going to cost me about $89 per night. And so by having an event that wasn't at a typical hotel, you know, it's a lot cheaper. Even if I charge $500 to somebody, I'm still making a profit even if 20 people come. Now, where people get in trouble is where they you know, have a minimum spend of $10,000 to you know, use a room and then they have to buy all this food and now they only have two people that signed up, but they only charged 500 bucks for it. Yeah. Like now they didn't make money on it. So I look for partners where it can scale with me. And so if I have 20 people sign up, then I have to decide from a time standpoint, is it worth it to go put on a conference for 20 people? That's different than losing money. But I look at it as 
okay, no matter what in that situation, I was going to make money. It was just yeah. a matter of how much money. Uh, and yeah. so then even just saying, you know, we're not going to give away typical swag bags. Instead, we're going to give away a $50 gift certificate for all the early birds to use at the swag store. And so they're kind of getting the swag that they want, but I'm not giving a bunch of crap to people that they don't want anyway. And right. so then they can go pick it out. And what happened that I didn't expect was this big fear of missing out. All the early birds got these sweet hats and yeah. they're like, people are like, will you save one for me? I'm like, you should have been an early bird. Like we yeah. only got 24 of those hats and yeah. early birds got most of them. So making sure at every level that you're at least making a percent and that you don't have too much liability on the line. Interesting. So it sounds like not only in the event itself, but also in the different offerings that you make either from the event, whether it, again, in the form of a, a physical swag or whether it's, um, you know, some of the other types of products or services that you offer from your, you know, your coaching or training or, or, you know, whatever it may be. So it sounds like you're, it's not just about the event itself, but also kind of what the event can lead to. hundred percent. One other thing we did was we had probably five to eight grand in sponsorships secured before we sold our first ticket. Cool. So we reached out to our current sponsors and said, here's what my vision is for it. You know, I tend to take risks. And if for some reason this doesn't work out, you know, I'll refund the money. But I had commitments from our sponsors to basically cover half of the cost of the event before I ever sold my first ticket. So they were getting tables. They're going to be flying their people out for it. We were going to really kind of make it a big event for them. And for some of them, I threw in an extra podcast sponsorship or I threw in an extra email to my list, things that didn't actually take anything other than extra time you know, from me. Uh, to be able to say, I want to take this risk. Will you join me in it? Um, now they get to be founding sponsors. And, and I said to them, you know, in future years, you get first dibs and I don't have sponsors that compete with you. And so then they're treated well, and then they're more likely to sponsor in the future because they saw that for a first year event, it was a great return on investment for them. Cool. Very cool. Joe, this has been very helpful. Very interesting. And if people want to check out you and more about you and what you're up to, where can we go? Yeah, I would say if, if people are a coach or a counselor, head on over to practiceofthepractice.com. And I also have a giveaway for 27 tips, tricks, and stats to help people start a podcast over at podcastlaunchschool.com. Uh, you'll get our nine-part email series walking you through how to start your podcast. Awesome. Joe, thanks for the time, man. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Grant. There you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Joe. Again, check out uh, what he does over at Practice of the Practice. Uh, great guy. Got some great content, especially if you are in the uh, the counseling space and the therapy space, but also just as an example of how you might be able to take what he's done in his micro niche and apply it to you and your world and the niche that maybe you, be, you might be speaking to. So uh, good stuff there. Hey, again, uh, as a reminder, The Successful Speaker, new book is coming out February 18th, 2020. So if you haven't already pre-ordered that, make sure that you do. You can do that by going over to thespeakerlab.com slash book. Again, thespeakerlab.com slash book. Don't forget to pick that up, pre-order, get you a bunch of copies, give it to everybody that you know who's interested in speaking. It, it is the go-to resource and guide for uh, understanding how to build and grow your speaking business. All right, whether you wanna speak five times a year or 105 times a year, that's the book for you. The Successful Speaker, pick it up now. All right, thanks for hanging out with us, my friends. We'll uh, catch you next time. You're awesome.